This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast, a bonus episode, you never saw it coming, episode number 15, SummerSlam this Sunday, NXT TakeOver this Saturday, also AEW Dynamite, don't forget about that, this Saturday, so much pro wrestling going on, so little time to cover it, so let's get right into it, we had a couple special guests join the program, two special guests you'll never see coming and we'll talk about that and a whole lot more in just a little bit. But in the meantime and in between time, let's get to what happened with the Raw Go Home show on Monday night. And I got to say, there's about four takeaways that I had from this show. It was, again, three hours, and I usually kind of fast forward through a good chunk of it, especially the commercials. But the Raw Go Home was good, but also had two really bad things. Get to the really bad first and get to the stuff that I enjoyed in a little bit. First off, we got to bring up the opening of the show. The opening of the show was amazing for all the wrong reasons. It was amazingly bad because the show basically opens up with a glitchy intro. And you could tell it's pre-done, like if The Fiend was going to show up. If, if, you could tell this was not a typical thing. The intro starts off as normal. The entrance, everything kind of starts off as normal. And then all of a sudden, what you know, the production starts to go off the rails as Drew McIntyre is cutting a promo to open the show. And it was a really good promo. But, of course, it was overshadowed by the production errors that we saw. It starts going off the rails to see the graphics pop up on the screen, what's coming on tonight, what's coming up, all these different things. And it makes no sense. You even see the double replay thing, which causes things to just go completely off the rails. And then we realize it's all because of Retribution, who is causing all the chaos in production. And you kind of see things go to break, things unresolved. And you think, hypothetically, you would have a situation where they're continuing to cause chaos by like rerunning old footage or or continually going to commercial break. There'd be a way where WWE could have done this and really make it a entertaining like two hours where they're trying to basically cause all kinds of hell. But then we sat there wondering, what did we just see? It was an absolute... And then the thing that really burns my beans and ticks me off is the fact that we never see Retribution the rest of the show. What was the point in having Retribution show up to do this and then never come back again, never cause any other issues, never cause any other glitches, like the, like the lights going out or what have you. That was all they did. That was all they did. Why do that in the last show of the Performance Center that seems to be an unsafe working environment, considering the fact that we've had the last few weeks retribution cause all kinds of problems. That's why they're going to the Thunderdome to keep them away. I'll get to the Thunderdome a little bit later in the podcast. But there's no doubt in my mind that I was wondering the entire time after the show was, what's Retribution going to do next? Like because, Again, SmackDown, they handled that really well. It was a very fun way they did it, where they were basically going to try and handle it themselves. Why didn't Raw do this? But They're all concerned about Ric Flair and how he's feeling, and Titus O'Neil comes out. They come back from break with Titus O'Neil, whatever. They could have just shown the ring and just have the audio from the Titus O'Neil segment. Make it seem as things are still chaotic throughout the show that way you just don't know what's going to happen and what the rundown is going to be and things just go completely wrong but again it was just, and you know there was no explanation as to why 
the production crew was able to take back control. Did they fight back Retribution? If they did, then makes Retribution look like an absolute jamoke and shows that this group has no real point. And we're just sitting here, you know, this is going to be a great angle. I feel like this is going to be a whole lot of fun to see this continue. And eventually we find out who all these are, and this could very well be an aces and eight type situation. But now we're just sitting here. It's nothing. It is nothing. It is a joke of a segment, and it's time to move on from it. Give us a resolution as soon as possible, because I am done with this kind of crap on my programming. But I think I'm definitely wasn't a fan about on Raw Monday night was Natalia versus Mickey James, used largely as a set piece. This was a huge gripe I had because this match was going to be really cool. It was hyped up from last week. They built towards this match a week in advance. It's not often WWE does that these days, but you hype up to it and you give them two minutes in the ring. And it's all basically about what's going on with Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio. Seth Rollins goes down to the ring, talks to Samoa Joe, and the and the whole show changes from, oh, hey, it's Italian Mickey James determining who's the best of all time. These two have been going back and forth on social media all week long to Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio and the Dominic Mysterio angle, which has been going on for months, and hopefully that can end sooner rather than later because I love long-term storytelling, but eventually you realize you've drained that well pretty much dry at this point. So I'm interested to see how that's going to go for the WWE after SummerSlam, but this was just disappointing. And then the fact it ended in a countout. There was no real resolution in it, if you will. I mean, obviously you had the whole lot at ringside and it was entertaining with them with the selfies, but it did not need to go the way that it did. It'd be treated like a background piece. Like it was like, Oh, Hey, we got this wrestling match here, but Oh, Hey, let's focus on Seth Rollins or Rey Mysterio. Let's focus on that feud and see what's going on with Joe. And they were talking for the pretty much the second half of that match. You didn't even notice. And they were so out of sync with the counts. You can tell what count they were on. I thought they were already on eight, like after the two count. It was so confusing and frustrating to me. A two-minute match featuring two of the best women's wrestlers in the history of the company have a match that ends the way that it did was frustrating and absolutely unacceptable in my mind. And the winner and the writers for this should be ashamed for basically having this and then basically focusing on Samoa Joe and Rollins teasing Mysterio's return to Raw later in the night. That being said, I did love the segment with Dominic and Ray standing tall because it makes you actually have a legit threat and Dominic being able to beat Seth Rollins in a street fight because instead of trying to out-wrestle him, he can outsmart him. And that's really where I stand on all this because I think Dominic Mysterio, we're going to see a happy ending because it just has to. And I think we see a happy ending, and I think Samoa Joe, I think Samoa Joe has something to do with it as well. Samoa Joe is going to be involved in this somehow, some way. Also, i got to give credit to him for being able to pull off the hairdo that he has because when I first saw this, like, what the hell is going on here? Why does he have his hair like that? Lo and behold, it just looks really good. But it's also kind of nuts to think 15 years ago, Dominic was ringside seeing Ray fight for his custody at SummerSlam. 15 years ago that happened. That was a mind blow when I kind of just came to that realization that was in SummerSlam 2005. But the big surprise was, for me, the third hour was absolutely fantastic. It actually improved. Dolph Ziggler, Eric was a ton of fun. I believe that might have been a little jab towards Stipe and DC over the weekend with the eye poke. It was entertaining as all get out to see that whole situation. And I am 
looking forward to seeing what's going to happen going forward with Raw Underground. If they keep this going and keep it at least somewhat entertaining. Instead of, oh, hey, let's just put a Dabakato every week and have him squash two or three guys and then let's have another job match. I think they're going to eventually have a lot of really fun stuff like Ivar versus Dolph. That should be a lot more entertaining and just like a, instead of being like, oh, hey, let's do two seconds of a fight and then go to break. This looks like they're actually handling it a really good way. And then also you have the fact you had three of the four horsewomen appear. Shayna Baszler, Marina Shafir, and Jessamyn Duke. The third name was actually kind of escaped me for a second there, but I caught it just in time. And it put together a really fun story because they were beat, beating the crap out of all these other ladies. And then it bled into the Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler feud. And I'm interested to see what's going on with that. And I'm more intrigued to see what's been going on with the third hour going forward. Are we going to continue to see the Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler because Nia Jax is suspended indefinitely, so she doesn't have anything to do with actually what's going on at Raw, but Raw Underground operates under its own rules, at least from what we can tell. So I think that's going to be intriguing to see what happens going forward, especially now that we have the Thunderdome, what happens to Raw Underground. But my big question is, where was Dabakato in the midst of all this? Because he was kind of MIA, and I was I have enjoying when Dabakato shows up, but I wish they had more for him to just show up and get your and beat these guys up and then get your stuff in and go home. It was underwhelming when we saw him last week, but hopefully he can kind of come back and start with people's tail ends off. Because I think Dabakato could very well be the star of this whole thing and turn that into a big push to be considered the legit shoot fighter of the WWE. And then the main event segment, the final segment, the selling point before SummerSlam on Monday Night Raw, but the closing segment, Randy Orton, HBK, having a promo segment, which was really good. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely well done. And, of course, Randy Orton does what he does best and punts a legend and kills off a legend, supposedly. I mean, he's done it before. You look back at like how things were. I mean, Bray Wyatt became Bray Wyatt, if we're going to go canon, because of the fact that Randy Orton punted him. And then, then Bray Wyatt disappeared for a while, came back as Bray Wyatt instead of Husky Harris. We saw that. And we saw a lot of guys get punted, and then they disappear. Ric Flair looked like he died. Edge, out. Christian, out. Big Show, out. And they all sold it. HBK was the one who did not sell the punt. It was one of those, and yeah, he got punted again. I like the theories that were out there about the fact that because of the fact HBK got punted already previously, he's okay. He can deal with it. I don't understand the logic of that, but okay. I can get with that. But overall, I'd say Monday Night Raw was... A thumb in the middle. It was okay, but it definitely deserved a lot more love. CD's going to test his expertise and predictions against someone who's running in and invading the podcast zone. You know who I am, but you don't know why. I am more than excited to have on my very special guest this time to do a little SummerSlam Pickums, a man that helped found the 20 by 20 programs podcast, which is what this podcast was in a previous life. But now it is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, and we're proud to bring on the man himself, Alan Maggle. He's not on the Twin Peaks hotline. We actually managed to figure something out to get him lo- get him sounding as crisp and crystal clear as possible. Alan Maggle, what's going on, brother? 
Actually, today you're not talking to Alan Michael. Today you were talking to Long Allen Ice T. You never saw it coming, Clint. You thought you got Alan Michael, but you got Long Allen Ice T. It's SummerSlam. You never saw it coming. You'll never see it coming. I think that all right, that's the first thing I'm wondering. Is that a reference to RKO or like what is going on with that reference calling it you'll never see it coming? Because I think that's the most interesting part of SummerSlam to me. Is well, is all- it all because it Raven Zero can't see with one eye? No, this is not a dig at one-eyed Mysterio. This is all a this is a pay-per-view built around the RKO. That's how great of a maneuver it is, Clint. The RKO now has its own pay-per-view. SummerSlam, you'll never see it coming. When Randy Orton punt kicks his way to Drew McIntyre for the WWE title, I mean, this is unbelievable what Randy Orton has done. The legend killer turned up. A thousand compared to what he was a couple decades ago, kicking really old and and really fragile men in the head like Ric Flair, kicking a really bald man like HBK in the head. What Randy Orton's doing is they no sold it. I mean, he well, he he was trying to do that glossy eyed thing he used to do really well, but I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have that look in his eye anymore. When one eye lazy. (laughs) <laughs> but Randy Orton, what a what an sob! Drew McIntyre, I hope he Claymore kicks his head off. But that's just the tip of the iceberg, even though it is the main event of SummerSlam. And we'll get to that main event in a little bit. Let's kind of start off looking at the United States Championship. First off, what are your thoughts? I haven't talked to you about this, but what do you think about the new United States Championship versus what they had been having since its inception in the WWE? What, what's your thoughts on that U.S. title? Oh, I love I love it. it. It looks like it's a throwback to the uh, old belt that was in WCW. Uh, I w- I'm not a fan of you know of bl- like the the plate on the belt having like color. I like it being silver or gold or platinum, uh, maybe bronze. I guess not really. But this title is gorgeous. MVP paid a lot of money for it, and Big Miami is getting his belt back against Apollo Cruz, even without. Lashley's full Lashley out there or Shelty baby. You got MVP Apollo Cruz. This is a great matchup between an up and comer, a guy who's had so many starts and stops to his career. I mean, he is everything you look for in a superstar, but MVP is on another level compared to what he was a couple de- weeks ago, uh, or excuse me, decades ago, just like Randy Orton. MVP, I think is better than ever. He's got, a, a tremendous finishing maneuver with that kick to the skull in the corner, and he's got way better than the overdrive. Way better, and he, or the playmaker, which which is what it used to be called, playa. Don't forget, but MVP now it's the overdrive. It's always been the overdrive. This is you play too much SmackDown versus Raw. This is big <laughs> Miami. The hurt business is one of the very few thriving business in, in 2020, but this business is thriving indeed, and I think MVP gets his however many thousands of dollars he spent on that belt back from Apollo Cruz. For me, I think i got to go with Apollo Cruz. He's been a guy that I've been following for quite a while and seeing him back in the days at, as UHA Nation, back in the Evolve days. I'm so glad that's on the WWE Network, by the way, now. That I may very well finally kind of budge and buy the damn thing so I can watch Evolve and all that great stuff on the network. But, you know, I got to say, Apollo Crews, I feel like he's got every edge to be able to come away and retain the United States title. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's somehow, some way, a new fourth member of the Herd business that makes their appearance known on Sunday night. 
Ooh, a mysterious fourth member to join Big Miami and crew. I don't know. I don't know who's worthy enough. He was trying to recruit Cedric Alexander, but Cedric Alexander declined, and then so he ended up losing the twenty four seven title a bunch of times. Apollo Cruz already did. I don't know who else is out there for MVP that he could turn. We'll see what happens, but I think he Dabakano. could beat Apollo. Dabakato. No, he's when you're on Raw Underground, you don't go anywhere else. Raw Underground, baby. Oh, baby. Will we get Raw Underground at SummerSlam, you think? I hope. <laughs> I, would, I would love to see Raw Underground inside of the Thunderdome. Make sure you bring Master Blaster into that thing. That would be awesome. One of the living. I'm signing up for Thunderdome as soon as we're done. I, I saw you did already, Clint. I already signed up. Yeah, I got I got to. I'm going to be ready for Friday. I think it's already uh, at capacity from what I was able to kind of tell for Friday night. Oh, really? Well, I got to get in for Raw then. That's my goal. I just want to be there for well, Raw Underground. That's all I care about. <laughs> and one wrestling. It's and one wrestling. It's the best. Oh, baby. Shane McMahon's a genius. It's amazing, you know. He wanted to do that all those years ago with the UFC. But flipping on over, we got a real blood feud going on for the Raw Tag Team titles. The Street Profits taking on Andrade and Angel Garza, looking to gain some revenge after being poisoned a couple weeks ago. I don't know what kind of roofies Zelina Vega was throwing down in that cup, but my goodness, this has been a great feud. And I think this this is going to be a lot of fun seeing the Street Profits, Andrade, Cien Amas, Chonchon, as you like to call him, Angel Garza, Give me the Street Profits retaining here. Uh, Chonchon and Angel going out there with boom, 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 boom. That girl is poison, Zelina Vega. But man, that was a reach. Thinking you could poison Tez. This guy is a super duper athlete, a future WWE champion, if you ask me. Trying to poison him. That's, that's a reach. It's not going to work. And when you reach, the Street Profits teach. I got the Street Profits <laughs> retaining as well. What a dumb move by Zelina Vega. The first really big misstep she's ever taken. I think she's a great manager, but this is about to blow up in her face. I'd have to agree. I think it's going to blow up in her face. I'd be surprised if we see Chon Chon and Angel Gar and Angel, as you put them, get the win and win the Raw Tag Team titles for you. It's got to be the Street Profits. Now let's look at one of the other matches on the card that I think we're all looking forward to. The the real blood feud, the stuff that's been boiling over since before WrestleMania. Sony Deville, Mandy Rose, hair versus hair. The first question is, is this even going to happen considering everything she's been dealing with over the last few days? Yes, off air and in real life, these two were involved in a situation where a kidnapper uh, stormed Sonya Deville's home and tried to abduct her from her home. This is a super scary situation, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but is this an, an, a, a testament to how interesting and intriguing and hooked people are on this on this feud that someone bought in hook line and sinker and really like went after sonia deville for being so despicable to, to mandy rose or are they just one of those creepy stalkers there are a lot of those out there especially for pro wrestlers and particularly female pro wrestlers we see uh, jordan grace really gets them on twitter if you try to mess with her on twitter i mean they'll they'll fight back they'll bite back and this guy luckily didn't get away with you know fulfilling and committing his crime but Jeez, oh man, yeah, I hope the match happens. And the the reason why is because I think Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose, great chemistry. The promos from Sonya Deville are fire. It feels like, I can't believe, I really believe she hates this woman that she used to share donuts with across the country. But I can't wait. I hope it happens. And I cannot wait to see Mandy Rose go full-on Molly Holly. 
both of these girls have just been going at it since back in March. It's great to see long-term storylines get a big payoff. Sonya Deville, Mandy Rose, I've been jumping around on this one. I think the match is going to happen, but I think we're going to see Mandy Rose get the win here because I think we need to see Sonya Deville get the hair chopped off. After all, Mandy Rose already has already gotten some of her hair chopped off. So nah, Mandy Rose getting the I win see, here. I think you're wrong because they they're going to need to make the the wedding of Mandy Rose and Otis believable. She's going to have <laughs> to at least be bald, Clint. That's just the way it works. Well, I mean, you could have uh, like let's say she. If she loses the match, then she's basically going to become like she's going to start gaining weight because she'll be eating more. I guess I don't, I don't know how you'd be able to work that into the storyline in 2020. But I feel like Sonya Deville is going to lose this match and get her head at least somewhat shaved. It's the WWE Thunderdome. We're going to be able to make wrestlers look 400 pounds heavier than they are. Clay, it's new technology, drones. It's going to be amazing. By the way, talk with Alan Michael or Long Allen Ice T, Alan Magel, however you want to call him. We got him on the Cajun Strong Style podcast, and we need to bring up the Universal Championship match: Braun Strowman, Bray Wyatt. Now, speaking of bald, Braun Strowman bald as a cue ball, still got that beard out there, press slamming Alexa Bliss. What is going on with this entire storyline? Is going off the rails in a hurry. Who do you got winning this one? Live in every man's f- fantasy. Press slamming Alexa Bliss in the dark. Braun Strowman is consumed, though, by this monster inside of him. The Fiend has done, I think, I think this is the Fiend's masterpiece so far. He changes everybody that comes in contact with him. But what he's doing to Braun Strowman slowly, methodically, from just a simple one-on-one to a swamp fight. And now to the universal title the fiend is now emerging versus the monster i've got the fiend bray wyatt regaining the universal championship all the way and i look forward to getting my mask from tom savini just like bray wyatt got i ordered once four months ago clint i still haven't got it they're back ordered i got my jason mask bray wyatt has one why don't i get one what the hell I mean, blame the U.S. Postal Service. Everything going on with that, you know, that's gonna that's something that's gonna be a huge deal for me. I, I gotta go with Bray Wyatt as well, becoming Universal Champion once again and beating Braun Strowman. I don't even think it's gonna be close. I think it'll be the fact that Braun Strowman, the monster, that is finally back, taking on the Fiend. The Fiend's gonna somehow, some way, be able to control Braun, and we see Braun go away for a while. I'm hoping like puppets attack the uh, the monster and they <laughs> hold his legs down. Boy. Yes, and then they hold down the monster, and then Bray Wyatt's able to get that that mandible claw in and defeat him one, two, three. I'd love to see that, you know, whenever it just comes down to it. But give me Bray Wyatt getting the win. And now we're going to get to the real fun stuff. Asuka pulling double duty. Bailey versus Asuka and Sasha Banks versus Asuka. Both titles are going to be on the line in both those matches. She's pulling double duty. Who do you think Asuka faces first? Bailey said she'd take her on first on Raw, so I, I mean, I, I believe that Bailey would do that for, for her friend Sasha Banks. But I think they're both screwed. Oscar's coming out the double champ, Clinton. I'll tell you why. She is the most, I, I think, intuitive and, and smart wrestler going today. I watch. You ever watch her Kanachan TV on YouTube where she plays video games and makes cupcakes and stuff? Yeah. She's amazing, and she had the great idea. She was playing an old. Nintendo game track and field where you have to really press the button super fast to get your, your momentum. And she used 
She was a genius. She used a back massager, one of those motor-powered back massagers, to press the button super fast. She broke world records. I think she's going to break another record right here. Look at look out, Becky. Here comes Asuka Two Belts. I'd love to see Asuka Two Belts, but I think she's just going to come away with the Raw Women's title because we all know Sasha Banks can never successfully retain her women's title. And then we see Sasha Banks help Bayley win against Oscar for the SmackDown women's title. So we get to see things kind of go back to normal, but it's nuts to think about the fact that Bailey and Sasha Banks are getting absolutely hosed all the way around because in about a week's time, they got a women's tag team title match at payback. I, I don't remember the last time we had back to back weeks with uh, pay-per-views, but yeah, that, that those tag titles have to be defended, but you have to defend the tag titles. They haven't defended them since uh, I think maybe pre pandemic i don't even remember all the days blur together clint but all i know is that they're about to lose all the gold the summer of bailey and sasha is over and like you say not the good kind of over oh not the good kind of over at all and now we get to the what i think is going to be the main event alan it has to be we've been we've been hearing for months about this feud and it's going to reach its boiling point Dominic Mysterio fighting for the pride of his father and the Mysterio family, taking on Seth Rollins in a street fight. Rey Mysterio is going to be in his corner. Buddy Murphy is going to be in Seth's corner, which I don't quite know how that's going to work with the street fight, having people in your corner. It just does not make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. They're there, and they're going to be brawling too. There's going to, this is going to be a pier six. I mean, this might be a pier... Six, eight, nine, six and nine. I don't know, Clint. All I know is it's going to be vicious, violent, eyeball popping fun. It's SummerSlam in this street fight. Dominic Mysterio, the fact that he was even back on Raw after getting taken you to never the saw shed. It coming. He, I mean, I cannot believe what that poor, poor young man endured. But he came out ready and had a plan and got Seth Rollins a little. He got a little bit of payback. But he gets him at SummerSlam, and in his first match, he could be the imagine the career he could go on to have, being the guy who vanquished the biggest scumbag in wrestling history on his first in his first match. I'm rooting hard for Dominic Mysterio. Let's go! I know you are. I know you're 100 percent in on Dominic Mysterio dominating Seth Rollins in the contest. Now I'm just wondering. Obviously, you know a street fight that's false count anywhere. So could this end up in Raw in Raw Underground? Could end up in Raw Underground. It could end up in catering next to Cedric Alexander. It could it could end up who the hell knows. It's they're in Orlando. Maybe it ends up uh, on the desk of Vince McMahon in in the backstage area. I, it could end up anywhere. All I know is that Dominic Mysterio, I think, has been holding out on. We've seen a lot of his maneuvers, a lot of his moxie, a lot of his toughness. But really, in a wrestling ring, imagine being trained by Rey Mysterio. What's up, Dominic's sleeve? You always want to yeah. luchadors always want to top their 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 lineage. They want to be the best version of what's next in their family line. I mean, look at like look at Legado del Fantasma. What they're doing in NXT, redefining lucha. King Cuerno, the man, hijo del fantasma. I mean, Escobar. We are talking about Santos Escobar, who is redefining lucha. He's a youngster, just like Dominic Mysterio. I think this whole era of lucha is really in for something special i think dominic mysterio is a part of that and i'm not going to ever say seth rollins wins a match even if he's heavily favored screw him go dom it's got to be dominic mysterio getting the win here now i'm just wondering at, at any point throughout SummerSlam, is somebody gonna jump off the top of the thunderdome i mean 
the Thunderdome, is it an actual structure or is it just the whole essence of all the LED lights, the drones and all that? Is it an actual the dome? They're going to be, there's going to be a, I heard there's going to be a board above the, above the ring. I'm in, I'm excited for the main event because when the LEDs that we heard about, they're able to project fans out into the crowd. So we could have everybody in the crowd in kilts when Drew McIntyre comes out screaming Scottish war chants. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I'm definitely going to try and get in on that to be able to be part of the SummerSlam virtual crowd. Not quite going all in on the $125 virtual meet and greet to meet Drew McIntyre for like two minutes. But I have to say, I'm looking forward to that main event. Drew McIntyre taking on another great luchador, Hijo de Bob Orton, for the WWE Championship. I feel like this is going to be the end of Drew McIntyre's reign. I think Randy Orton, the greatest wrestler of all time, is going to walk away with that WWE title. He was christened by Hugh Jackman himself, Clint, but I don't know. This this run for Drew McIntyre, for it to just end at the hands of a tyrant like Randy Orton, I, I would be devastated. I think the WWE Universe would be devastated. In a year like 2020, though, that's kind of what we all expect. Randy Orton comes out with this championship, but Drew McIntyre, the man who saved the WWE title, is now facing his greatest threat yet, where if Randy Orton wins it, I think it could be as bad as it was when Brock Lesnar had it for a lot of fans. So I'm picking Drew here. He's got a ton of legends behind him. He's got the weight of the WWE Universe behind him. But I think that's a good thing. This is a Scotsman who thrives on that kind of pressure. I mean, look at the road from Impact, from GFW to Impact to NXT to the main event of WrestleMania and then beating the big show at WrestleMania. Everybody forgets, but that's probably the most impressive thing he's done. Drew McIntyre special. I think this is his big moment, maybe bigger than even beating Brock Lesnar because Randy Orton is the greatest of all time. Drew McIntyre beating him on this stage and at the peak of Randy Orton's powers, I think makes him a Hall of Famer. I'd have to agree. I think, but I feel like Randy Orton is going to win this one. Now we're going to have a little, little bit of fun, Alan, because I feel like this is just a question I've been wondering about all week long. Now that they're out of the performance center, do we see Retribution somehow, some way ruin SummerSlam? Ruin somehow? What, what? So this is at the Amway Center in Orlando. Like the, they're gonna, there's gonna have to be a lot more of them. What could they do? I mean, th- there's gonna be a lot more security at the Thunderdome. There's probably gonna be guys with like bats with spikes through them because this is Thunderdome, obviously motorcycles and chains. I don't think Retribution is anything to worry about here at SummerSlam at all. All right, so what are you most looking forward to with them? What's going on with the Thunderdome? Obviously, they're going to have all these LED boards, drones. Vanguard 1 getting employment. Who'd have thunk it? But I think that's definitely the thing that most looking forward to seeing what the overall production is going to look like. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm looking forward to virtual fans. Like I said, I think they, they I'm hoping they do some of that or really like character driven pyro and, and LED stuff. I mean, we see like the crazy graphics they put in the sky during wrestlemania now even during raw sometimes uh like the jeff hardy face that they put with his logo like we're gonna see a lot more of that and i think it's gonna make it just a crazy spectacle and they better go all out because they're pent up i mean they've just been sit sitting back basically giving us mid-south style wrestling which is great for the last what five months but now wwe and all their production power i mean there's gonna be i think some some huge wows coming this weekend just with the Thunderdome alone, not to mention all the great matches. And one more before I let you go, Alan. It's more about 
Renee Young. She is apparently going to be leaving the WWE. She's already given her notice. She's like, I'm out. What's next for her? Do you see her continue to be involved in pro wrestling, go over to AEW, or do you see her trying to make her way over to the four-letter network? I hope she does not go to uh, that sports network because, I mean, I don't know if you – I don't I haven't even watched that channel in like five, six months, Clint. It's, there's, what's the point? Except when there's a game on, Renee Young doesn't need to be involved in any of that. I'm hoping she becomes a commentator next to good old JR and Tony Schiavone every Wednesday on AEW. By God, that'd be so great. A woman next to JR, could you imagine? I could imagine – I almost called you Jordy listening to me. But well, thank I you, buddy. imagine – <laughs> but you can about imagine there has to be a good gap between JR and Renee Young based off of my, JR's my Twitter habits. Let's just put it that way. Man, good old JR is really at least the one, the number one or two reason why to watch AEW every week because there's always some gem he says. He's hilarious. He's smart. He's so fun, but yes, it is a different era, but him being in the middle of it is just special, I find. But seeing Renee Young next to him would be really cool, or just her being an AEW. I'm always rooting for couples to be closer to each other. She's got to be next to John Moxley somehow. It's her husband. They love each other. It's a great thing when people could work together and love each other in harmony. That's what I root for. Exactly. I, I love that. And Alan, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. I'm going to try and just keep these two one a year. I'll make sure just to keep you aboard once a year. We we call up good old Alan Maggle, Long Allen Ice Tea, however you want to call it, to talk about some great pro graphs. And don't forget Dynamite Saturday night special right before NXT takeover, as long as the NBA playoffs doesn't go long. Yeah, let's hope those games end real quick and we can get to our our big uh Cody versus uh Mr. Brody Lee match, which we're all waiting How about that, Alan? Michael, once again, appreciate him for coming on the program. And uh, by the way, check out Brain Buster Radio when you get a chance. But of course, this is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, your exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Thanks to 1037 The Game. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through Audio Mac, 1037thegame.com, or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, however you're doing. So make sure you leave us a five star review as well. Now I'm going to look at NXT. We got NXT TakeOver this Saturday, and NXT put together a really fun show. And I think it started off really well with a great opener, Johnny Gargano, Rich Holland, who I had never seen before. Didn't realize he was a wrestler on the roster because I've been missing out on bits and pieces of NXT. Rich Holland put together an absolutely great match that makes you wonder how big of a threat he can be going forward because he looks like an absolute beast. And it was a fun match. Until a bump that happened. I was really frustrated at this part more than anything. This is probably my one gripe about NXT was the fact that they went picture in picture and missed by probably most people if they wound up DVRing it like I did. And I wasn't fast forwarding through it. I just, once I got a picture in picture, I turned away, I was writing some things down in my notes about Raw, and I was kind of writing some things down, getting some questions going. And then they come back from break. Holland ran the robes and went for a power slam. On Gargano. Gargano land on his head and neck. And it looked so brutal. I was like, oh my God, that was so badass. And it was I think that made the match that much better. 
Gargano was able to finish the match, even though he looked like he was glazed over. Still got it done. Thanks to some help from Candice LeRae, helping set up the low blow that turned into the final beat. It was really fun, and now we'll see Gargano, Johnny Wrestling, one of my favorites from the NXT roster, be a part of the North American title ladder match, and this will be his 18th appearance at an NXT TakeOver, the most amongst all NXT members and just all time in general. Then it came the second match, and I was expecting this to be a little bit of a squash, but this was Dakota Kai, Jesse Kamea, and it was a fun match, solid enhancement for Kai, who was preparing to take the women's title from Eos Drive this, this Saturday. It wasn't a complete squash. He just may have got offense in, but it was an enhancement match nonetheless. And the statement was made that Kai is more than ready for Shirai on Saturday. And then the promo after the match was really good. And I, I think Dakota Kai definitely deserves a little bit more time on the microphone now that she's a heel and it works really well. The big brawl goes down between Kai and Shirai. And then eventually the reigning champ gets demolished by Raquel Gonzalez, who returned on NXT that night with a big boot, and it was just a badass big boot. Shirai fights back, but then Gonzalez hits her, and then hits her with a power bomb that looked absolutely brutal, and then Kai stands tall, heading into Saturday's main event for the women's division, and I can't wait for Io, Dakota Kai. What's going to happen with Raquel Gonzalez? That's a new, new cog that's going on in all this, and I love it. And then we get to the Finn Balor Velveteen Dream Hype Package to sell the main event of the night. It's also weird. Happenstance, the way the promo was worded with Finn Balor basically saying the Dream has gotten opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after we see more allegations and more stories concerning those allegations continue to come out. That was interesting. I'll just leave it at that. Check out the promo. It was really good and really way to, really great way to hype up the main event. I wish we saw more of that kind of stuff versus in, in, in WWE main roster rather than what we see in the way things are presented out of outside of them. And then we see after that we see a six person tag, six man tag, Legado del Fantasma taking on Brizongo and Swerve Scott. We're still going with the Brizongo Legado del Fantasma feud. I love the entrance for Legado del Fantasma. Great touch by the way, wearing similar colors with the entire stable or a trio, I should say. Really great stuff there. And I also like that they've established guys like Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde, who was formerly DJZ, as legitimate threats. Because when I saw Joaquin Wilde, and I remember from DJZ back in the Impact days, I wasn't taking him seriously. You know, Esquire's been that way for a while. I mean, you look at Hio Del Fantasma. His track record speaks for itself. We all know how good he can be. Raul Mendoza and Wilde, they don't necessarily have that track record, per se, of being, like, these legitimate threats. They've always been kind of like hovering, but they're able to be with this in this trio and it works out really well. And I loved how the finish went and all started with wild hitting a springboard kick, but swerve turns around, letting Escobar take the brunt of the move and then swerve tags breeze. But in that process, he's going so fast. He knocks breeze out of the ring and he was ruled a tag. It was a really good sequence. and It was the right call to make. Legato Del Fantasma coming on top after Escobar hits a Phantom Driver. A really fun six-man tag, and I'd say damn near an underrated one at that. Again, they had three great matches in a row, three really fun matches. And then you come back from break, it was announced that you have Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza face off against Brizongo and Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan for a triple threat number one contender tag titles match on the kickoff 
for NXT TakeOver 30. And then before they go to break, this is, I'm going kind of back and forth because I wasn't sure what was all going on with it. So Pat McAfee shows up as they go to break to set up the angle that's going to be coming up a little bit, coming up after the break is a promo battle between Pat McAfee and Adam Cole. And it was really, really good. I think Pat McAfee looked really good in the in that promo. I think he wound up coming out like the victor in the promo part. But then Adam Cole decimates security with the leg slap city, because I was hearing at least three or four of them straight. And then Cole gets the final word in, and I like the way he said it, saying that McAfee will, he will make McAfee his bitch. It is really, really good, and it Really, again, this is supposed to be basically your your showcase match where it's showing Adam Cole is going to dominate this one on paper, but McAfee is going to give it one hell of a fight. I'll get to the picks in a little bit concerning NXT Takeover, but I think this could be one of those sleeper matches that we talk about down the road. But it was really cool seeing Pat McAfee show up with his partners like AJ Hawk and Darius Butler, people who he's had on the Pat McAfee show in the past and a regular guest friends of the program. Then you have Aaliyah and Mercedes Martinez in tag team match in Robert Stone and ringside taking on Rhea Ripley and Shotzi Blackheart. I've mentioned this before, but I'm not a huge fan of Ripley's new hair color. I'm nitpicking one of my favorite women superstars on NXT, but I feel like it just doesn't fit the gimmick entirely. I like the like the old hair that she had. Nothing against what she's been able to do, but it is so damn underwhelming for me. I, I just don't think it fits, you know, the the badass gimmick that she has when she has the bleach blonde hair, it just doesn't fit. You know, no more, more power to it. That's what she wants to do, but not my favorite thing in the world. Then we have Rhea Ripley taking on Martinez. The finish is absolutely really fun. I, I love this. Is It was a solid match to begin with, and the spot at the end I had to rewind a couple times just to kind of fully understand what was all going on because the way the camera cuts went, it looked more brutal. Is Ripley throws Martinez with a power bomb to the outside, not just like the outside of the ring, but threw her over the barricade onto the concrete. And the way they shot that made it look like she was going down about like an extra five feet. And that was really an awesome way to sell the power bomb. And maybe we'll see Ripley Martinez face off a little bit further down the line in a one on one match. And then Blackheart hits the top rope senton. That's going to be the finish of the night. But overall, Absolutely enjoyed that. And then I got to say, the I keep mentioning this when I'm talking about like go-home shows for NXT. I love these video packages. It reminds me a lot of UFC Countdown and how they hype up these main event matches. I wish that the main roster would do stuff like this more often leading into pay-per-views because it will make you feel more invested into the angle. Even if they did it for YouTube like AEW does for Road to Dynamite or whatever, I would love those kind of things because it just makes you really more invested into the angle. And if you've missed a little bit, you can watch this and be completely caught up. That is underrated in my book. That is an underrated feature in the WWE. And I think it was absolutely really cool the way they did it with Karrion Cross. because showing him so early on in his NXT career being an absolute killer. I got to shout out Metallica for having Frantic being the soundtrack for his part in the hype video. The beginning of it was very slow paced. And the second you see Karrion Cross, the TikTok, TikTok, it was absolutely perfect. And probably one of my favorite hype videos they've done in a while. But the preview video, I think WWE should be doing a lot more of 
because of the fact it reminds me a lot of UFC t- Countdown, or should be used a lot more for these main events, rather than, oh, hey, slap together a hype video and put it on before the match starts. I would love something to that extent for the WWE to use on the main roster leading into big pay-per-views. Like, for instance, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, I would love a long-form video like that, rather than, you know, Randy Orton punning Shawn Michaels again. And then the main event of the evening gets an extended run. I believe this went about three segments, and it was Finn Balor, Velveteen Dream. Last break starts for almost no reason. Cam Grimes, Cameron Grimes shows up on the ladder. He's in the match, but it's still very weird to me that he showed up just out of nowhere. But it makes sense. Once he gets to the finish, the finish goes like this. Gargano comes out, knocks Grimes off the ladder, which results in a ref bump. And the ref bump, just he stays down there for like a good three minutes. And then Grimes gets beaten down. Bronson and Reed. And David Priest come out, and that becomes a preview of what's going to come on NXT TakeOver on Saturday. And this goes on the whole time. And just as you think Finn Balor is about to come away with the win, Timothy Thatcher comes out of virtually nowhere. Maybe that could be a match on TakeOver. He he knocks him clean the hell out, and Dream gets the win with the Purple purple Rainmaker, thanks to large part two, Thatcher. And then the Donnybrook continues as the show goes off the air. We see Thick Boy Bronson Reed standing in tall. I, again, absolutely love the way they've been able to do this angle and be able to build up, to build up potentially a brand new superstar in Bronson Reed. Now, Johnny Gregorian could win the whole thing, but I think having a guy like Bronson Reed hold up an NXT title, I would love that. It, overall, NXT gets a huge thumbs up for me. I'd probably say two. But again, there was just like one or two things that I criticized. And maybe you could have done a little bit more with the angle with Adam Cole and Pat McAfee. Get that a lot more physical. But overall, thumbs up. I'd say almost two thumbs up in my book. CD's going to test his expertise and predictions against someone who's running in and invading the podcast zone. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. All right, just recap NXT last night. A really, really great one building up towards NXT TakeOver 30. And to talk about, we got to go out to talk to our guy, Harry Broadhurst. We're talking about NXT TakeOver 30 this Saturday. Not long after, hopefully, AEW wraps up. So we've got another run-in right now. Harry Broadhurst, part of the Chair Shot Radio Network. Also, more importantly, part of the Reaction Radio Podcast. What's going on, man? What's up, CD? How you doing? I am doing absolutely fantastic. Out of the fact that we had a really interesting last week of pro wrestling, everything going on right now with the Thunderdome. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm most intrigued about. So before we get to NXT TakeOver, over the course of this weekend, what are you most looking forward to when you see that Thunderdome starting on Friday night? Fans. Actual fans. I think that's just the fact of how the production is going to look. I think that's the thing that, most, that tr- intrigues me the most because you know, like fans, you tell them all the rules beforehand, but they can very well be breaking the rules at any given moment. Oh, I guarantee you there's going to be a certain smart aleck who's going to try to be a wise ass and get away with doing something that he shouldn't be doing. Over under, let's say, 20 fans are going to be wearing them, uh, AEW shirts during the broadcast. Well, they've said that they will reserve the right to terminate the video feed at any time at their sole discretion. So I guarantee you, if they see somebody wearing an AEW shirt, that feed's getting cut immediately. 
I'd be I'm interested to see how that's going to look. But I think NXT Takeover may be the the piece de resistance of a, a really great weekend. SummerSlam's there, but I feel like top to bottom, this it's not that big of a card at least right here right now. I think that's why I'm looking forward to actually having you on on a Thursday instead of a Wednesday after the way we kind of had things go the last time I had you on for NXT Takeover in your house where we wound up seeing another match get added to the card before we even taped it. But I think, obviously, we need to start with the kickoff show, the number one contenders match for the NXT Tag Team titles. Legato Del Fantasma, Joaquin Wilde, and Raul Mendoza taking on Breezango, and also Danny Burch and Oni Lorcan in a triple threat match for the number one contenders. Who do you think comes away with it? I'm going to go with her, uh, Lorcan and Burch. Um, I think that I think that Legato Del Fantasma and Bruzango are going to be kind of intertwined with each other here, especially since they just had that six-man tag on NXT last night. And I do think that um, Lorcan and Birch's style matches up a little bit better with Fabian Eichner and Marcel Bartels. It just feels like, to me, they're trying to establish Legato Del Fantasma as this like almost evolution-esque, where they're starting to build them up as the absolute monster. I mean, right now, we're talking about DJZ actually looking like a legitimate threat for a tag team title opportunity with Raul Mendoza, the way they've been building it up, I think it's a perfect opportunity to at least put them in contention against Eichner and the NXT tag team titles and put those guys in that mix. But I love your pick of Danny Burch, only Lorcan. I'm just going to go with Legado del Fantasma because I'm liking how I like what they're doing with them right now. Um, a, I'm going to disagree with you based solely on the fact that they don't tend to do heel versus heel matchups specifically for titles. I, I, so I'm, I'm just always going to lean towards just seeing some awesome stuff. As far as um, Legato del Fantasma, I think Santos Escobar has been absolutely killing it. And a lot of people who weren't aware of his work as King Cuerno and Lucha Underground are now aware of just how good he is. And as far as uh, um, DJZ, uh, Joaquin Wilde, Shima Zion, call him what you want to, it's nice to see a guy that's a genuinely good dude in the business getting such a great opportunity. He is getting such a great opportunity, and I brought it up with Legado Del Fantasma. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's Escobar and it's two lackeys. These guys feel like on an equal footing. I think that's the thing that makes me most intrigued about them potentially having a tag team title opportunity down the road. I can see where you're coming from with that. I just I would imagine it would probably have to be babyface champions for Legato Del Fantasma to get a crack. It's going to be fun to see how that thing goes, Harry. Now we're going to look at probably the match a lot of people are looking forward to, at least from a mainstream perspective. Adam Cole, no longer in the hey, NXT. Hey. Yes, baby. He's no longer the NXT champion, but he's involved in a high-profile match with a man that's a former NFL punter, retired on top, and then decided to go ahead and do his own thing, do his own radio show, and be part of WWE. Pat McAfee. Adam Cole, Pat McAfee, who you got in this one? A lot of people actually don't know that Pat McAfee has prior wrestling experience. Yeah, he's he's been able to make make his appearances here and there, and then obviously taking some bumps while working with him. Uh, it, it was Dr. Tom, right? Uh, in addition to working with Dr. Tom, there's actually, I, I don't know if you're familiar with IWTV, the independentwrestling.tv website. Yep. Um. There's a promotion on there called IWA East Coast, and uh, McAfee actually had a series of appearances for IWA East Coast, including a match with a guy named Warpig there. I like that. I like that. And, you know, to me, it's just this is probably the most intriguing one because you don't really know how it's, this thing could go. It's going to depend 
I'm going to officially pick Adam Cole, baby. But the reason I'm going to is because I don't think this is a one-and-done for McAfee. I think that McAfee ends up sticking around and doing the wrestling thing on a more regular basis. He's athletically gifted. He's still young enough to do it on a full-time basis. And the NXT schedule would work around his ability to do the uh, Pat McAfee show for the satellite radio that he does it for as well. So I think that there's an opportunity for McAfee to do more going forward. And I think this is just the beginning between Cole and McAfee. I'm going to pick Cole, but if McAfee sticks around, I would not be surprised to see McAfee pick up the victory. I just feel like I think Pat McAfee is going to win this one simply because of the fact it's going to wind up garnering a lot of attention. You know that Monday morning on Get Up, you're going to see Pat McAfee front and center Talk about his experience beating Adam Cole, baby. Talking about all that stuff. Because guess what? The WWE wants that mainstream attention to be able to have Pat McAfee talk about that on his show that's also on CBS Sports Radio. You know that that would be such a great coup to have. To be able to get that many, that much more eyes on the product. And hell, if he wants to come back on occasion, I'd be all for that. So what you're saying is this is the NXT version of Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam Bigelow? I would say to a certain extent, yeah, now that you bring that up, but I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining than, than Lawrence Taylor, Bam Bam Bigelow, because I think the fact that Pat McAfee does have experience inside of a ring means you're going to see him do a lot more different things as opposed to the one spot that Lawrence Taylor did that we always see in those highlight reels at WrestleMania 11, the worst one of them all. The nine was pretty bad, but... Uh, as far as LT goes, I think LT actually surprised a lot of people with how he was able to athletically hang with Bam Bam Bigelow. The thing is, is you got to remember, uh, Lawrence Taylor was in the ring with a guy who was uh, damn near 400 pounds, whereas Pat McAfee's in the guy with the ring who's athletically gifted and might be the best overall athlete in NXT in Adam Cole, Bebe. I, I just feel like you're going to see Pat McAfee dominate in this contest. Because it, it just feels like he's got that ability, and I have the fact that he's got probably the most devastating move in pro wrestling right now, the punt. If he punts Adam Cole, it's over. Unless he tries to punt Shawn Michaels, and then we all know how that goes. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe Shawn Michaels rubbed off on him, uh, Adam Cole, baby, to make sure he doesn't. He's able to survive that punt. Oh, that, oh, that upset me so much from Monday. <laughs> it was probably, I have to agree, it was like, what the hell? Why? But it's like, you think about it. He's used to taking the punt, so that's why he got. He was able to get up so quickly. <laughs> he's immune to it by this point. <laughs> exactly. It, it, it's, it's it's like the Samoan headbutt rule. It's like it, it's it's very much like that. You get kicked so many times, you eventually develop an immunity to it. And he's so used to kicking people over the years, so he knows what it's going to take. So he he's immune to all this stuff. But flipping over to the NXT Women's Championship match. A big X factor got added this past Wednesday with Dakota Kai taking on Io Shirai, but Raquel Gonzalez is going to be at ringside for this one. That adds a whole nother kind of element to this matchup. Can't Io Shirai overcome the odds with that big, big monster Ra- Raquel Gonzalez at ringside? Uh, yes, and yes, she will. Uh, Io retains. And the reason I say Io retains is because I think there's a story to tell down the road with the women's title. In NXT, and for as much as I've enjoyed Dakota Kai ever since she turned her back on Tegan Knox at War Games, I think that the obvious choice to end up taking the belt off of Io Shirai is going to have to be Candice LeRae. Yes, thank you. That's exactly where I was going to go with that. I figured 
that you were going to say. Because I think Candice LeRae definitely deserves a run with the NXT Women's title. Add the fact that what's going to happen in the North American title ladder match we're going to get to in a minute. That could predicate what happens next with that women's title. And I think Candice LeRae is the next in line. Candice has been in NXT now for almost three years. Uh, yep. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate everything that Dakota's done and such. And EO's been fantastic with the title ever since she got the belt in the three-way at In Your House. And even in the belt to In Your House, she was doing really well. However, I think that EO's talents are probably going to be better utilized associating with Asuka up on the main roster sooner rather than later just because I think they realize just how special EO is. And somebody like a Candice could carry the NXT women's division. I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. I had the fact that it feels like Johnny Gargano wants to stay in NXT for the remainder Absolutely. of his career, and who's uh, who's to say I don't blame him at all for that kind of take. But I, I still feel like Io Shirai is going to have a pretty lengthy run with it. I wouldn't be surprised if she would want to just stay in NXT because you know, like the second she gets there, they're probably just going to say, oh, "Hey, pair with Oscar, pair with Oscar, just do that again." It's like I'm sure Io's just basically trying to delay this as long as possible. Well, I mean, it worked out pretty well, all things considered, for Kyrie uh, being associated with Asuka, doing the Kabuki Warrior thing with uh, Ky- with Asuka for Kyrie, ended up making her a lot more visible in people's eyes than maybe she would have been as just the Pirate Princess down in NXT. Great point, great point. Talk right now, Harry Broadhurst, part of the Cheer Shot Radio Network. And let's look at that ladder match for the NXT North American title. Bronson Reed, the thick boy, standing tall at the end of NXT on Wednesday and it's going to be Damian Priest, Cameron Grimes, Johnny Freakin' Wrestling, Johnny Gargano, and Velveteen Dream. Probably the most controversial choice in all of this, especially after the news over the last couple days. What's your take on all this? Uh, are we referring specifically to the latter match or to Velveteen? Well, let's, because... start, let's start with Velveteen. Uh, if it's true, he has no business in pro wrestling. Yep, I would have to wholeheartedly agree with that, especially considering... The track record, when we saw multiple guys from NXT UK after those allegations come out, get booted out about as quick as, quick as they can, and now we're seeing, I think it was ironic how in the main event when they hyped up Finn Balor, Velveteen Dream, it was saying opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. That made you think that you know the NXT North American title is another opportunity for Velveteen Dream to be put over. But it's like, why are you continuing to put over this guy whenever you released people like Enzo Amore right after those allegations came out? And the Jack NXT UK Gallagher, guys, Jack Gallagher, Coffee. exactly, have the NXT UK roster. Jordan Devlin still on the outs, and he's technically the current Cruiserweight champion. Santos Escobar is actually the interim champion. Yeah. Although they quietly removed the interim from his title. Well, I mean, you know, when it comes down to who knows when this pandemic is going to be over, you'll be able to take the title off of off of um, uh, the current champion, Jordan Devlin. Um, but back to the whole Velveteen Dream thing, like I was saying, uh, I respect Velveteen as a performer, but if it's true, Patrick Clark is a trash human being. Oh, 100%. He is, like, if this is all true, he is 100% a trash human being. And has no, like I said, like we were just talking about with the NXT people, like Gallagher getting fired after admitting that the allegations against him were true. Like he came clean. Uh, you may not like what Gallagher did, but at least Gallagher was honest about it. He came clean about things, and that's what led to his release. If it's true, admit it. It's true. Do your penance. Pay for your crime. 
and then maybe maybe looking to rehabilitating yourself in order to get back involved in the world of professional wrestling because there's no place in this business for people like that. All right, now let's jump over to the actual match itself. And I think there's just so much intrigue. Are you going to be able to put this vacated title on somebody like Damian Priest who has not hasn't necessarily been able to reach those heights he's wanted to over the last year? Cameron Grimes, Johnny Gargano, can he become a two-time North American champ? Can Bronson Reed, a guy who's definitely started to look more and more like a breakout star in recent memory, where can he land on this entire situation the ladder match for the North American title. You know, it's funny that you spend as much time talking about Cameron Grimes as you do because he's actually my pick in this match. You know, Cameron Grimes is probably the most intriguing one out of all the guys involved in this. But I'm going I'm I'm to say this. My brain, the, the smart part of me, is going to wind up going more likely than not Bronson Reed because I think there's telling a big story. I the fact he's stood tall at the end of NXT as they fade into black. But my heart, the mark in me is 100% going the Johnny Gargano way. He's going to win it. My heart is just saying that, so I'm going to go with the heart here and go with Johnny Gargano, Johnny freaking wrestling, getting it done. See, when it comes to Bronson Reed, him standing tall on it at the end of NXT TV is a bad omen, at least if you fall in wrestling superstition. And you know, he's standing. Yeah. He, he who stands tall on the go-home loses at the pay-per-view. The law of reverse momentum. Thank you for that friendly reminder of something I, I kind of forget about over the years. But again, smart money in my mind was going with Bronson, but I said I'm just going to go with my heart here and go ahead and go with Johnny freaking wrestling. All right, speaking of Johnny, I think we kind of have to address the elephant in the room. Um, what did you think about what happened on uh, on Wednesday night with the spot with Rich Holland? It was it was rough, and I here was the thing that really kind of irked me was the fact that was that happened during a picture in picture, like I was like, why is that being used during the commercial break when you're not necessarily paying that much attention to it, and then they come back. I'm like, I had to because I DVR most of it, so I DVR'd it and I had to rewind to find out what happened and why Gargano looked like he was knocked the hell out. I was like, oh my god, this was in a it was a brutal spot. And, you know, Rich Holland definitely deserves to be, like get some heat for it. But it wound up making that match a lot more – it made it a lot more entertaining in my mind is the way you saw Gargano come back and be able to get it done with the one final beat. Also, Candice LeRae helped out a lot. But he was able to hold his own. looks like he probably is going to be A-OK after all that. You see, I think that actually putting it in the commercial break in picture picture was smart. It just – in theory, if people were to change the channel and then come back to see Gargano laid out, they'll be like, what did I miss? Then it'll discourage them from changing the channel during the commercials in the future. It, I mean, again, maybe it's just me. I haven't necessarily been a huge fan of the picture-in-picture, picture, the way they it just, it just happened. And it's just like, you know, I guess it's the fact that we're so used to whenever you see a, a big spot, you go to commercial break, and it was like a good like couple minutes before like action returned so it was just the the pacing of that break coming back and then you see like them laid out it's like what the hell well i think part of that had to do with the fact that they had to edit it together too between the stoppage of the first part of the match and then the restart with the uh, super kick out of the corner and uh, I'll, I'll give them credit they actually managed to make that a look at least somewhat believable you know because i was talking with somebody about it before it's like i it did not feel like it was like 
edited like it was a reshot. You know, they did a great job with that, all things considered. With it going, going full screen on the replay definitely helped with that. Yeah, I'd have to hold hundred percent agree with that one. Credit to the NXT production team as a whole in order to be able to splice that together, and thankfully Gargano's okay because that looked awful. Oh, it probably was just absolutely the worst kind of. In- it looked absolutely awful, but again, it was a brutal enough spot that made you intrigued to see what else was going to happen going forward. Now we get to the main event of it all. Keith up, Lee. Up, up, up. Sorry, go ahead. Up. Sorry to cut you off, but we actually have another match to discuss. Oh, what, wait. What is that? I hadn't they seen anything. They just added a match today. Oh, my God. They did it again. Uh, Finn Balor takes on Timothy Thatcher. I should have seen that coming. My God. I, I don't know why I didn't see that coming. Seeing Finn Balor, Timothy Thatcher, after the way the main event ended, that's gonna be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Finn Balor, Timothy Thatcher. I gotta. I'm gonna go with Thatcher winning this one because the way they're building him up, looking an absolute like monster and a, just a, a straight up psychopath. Give me him to win that one. Uh, Balor's Mister Takeover, so it's kind of difficult to pick against him. But given the fact that Thatcher basically ran Matt Rill out of NXT, you got to go with the hot hand here, and that hot hand is Timothy Thatcher. It just feels like. Thatcher's just on this roll, and to me, you brought a Mister NXT with with Finn Balor. I think I think to a certain extent, Johnny Gargano will always be Mister NXT and Mister Takeover for me. Well, I'm just saying that the most wins in Takeover history is Finn Balor. It's a great debate that we can have for a long, long time. But <laughs> you know, that was a late last minute addition. Thank God we got to it in this podcast rather than like we mentioned the last yeah. time. Where, where matches just kind of got got added on us right after we taped it. And then the NXT title match, the main event. I love the hype videos that they did, first off, for Keith Lee, Karrion Cross in the middle of all that NXT stuff last night. It was so good. And for once, they used a good Metallica song from a bad album. I actually didn't catch which Metallica song they used. It was about Frantic. Parts. Oh, is that from Saint Anger? Yeah, Saint Anger. Yeah. See, I actually like Saint Anger. I like I like the uh, title track from that song. I'm I'm one of those weird Metallica fans though, where I don't really get into their thrash stuff. Like for me, I pick up at the Black Album going forward. Oh man, I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I mean, I started off around like the Black Album, and I I basically listened to some of Load and all that, but it's just it wasn't for me. I was more like I've grown to be more. The old school Metallica, and then once Death Magnetic came out, I, I was like, that's it, all right. Everything else after that point I'll listen to because it was pretty damn good. Um, unpopular opinion, Load is actually my favorite Metallica album. That's what we're here for, opinions on opinions on opinions. But the NXT title match, the main event, Keith Lee carrying across. Is Keith Lee going to be okay after getting the fireball angle done on him? Uh, I think they put themselves in a no-win situation here. And the reason I say that is because Keith Lee just became champion like a month ago. And Karrion Cross arguably has this aura of invincibility about him that I don't know that you can beat him yet. It just feels... I, Go ahead. I think that Keith Lee giving up the North American title means that he still has some legs. 
And I would not be surprised to see Lee pull this off, but I don't think it'll be a decisive victory. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Karrion Cross pull some like shenanigans and he winds up losing by disqualification because I think this feud is going to wind up going a little bit longer. I don't think Keith Lee's a transitional champion unless somehow, some way, Vince McMahon was looking at Keith Lee and be like, we need to have this guy, pal. We need to have this guy be the main event of WrestleMania next year, pal. I, I think it's going to be Keith Lee Karen Cross. Keith Lee wins by disqualification, but we see this feud continue. I do think that Karrion Cross will be the next NXT champion. However, I don't think it happens until TakeOver Survivor Series. All right. One more about this match. You know, you you brought up Karrion. We're bringing up Karrion Cross. And one thing that you said when we talked about him last was you thought about more as like a Mark Miro type with Scarlett Bordeaux being Sable. Has that viewpoint changed? Not at all. Scarlett's clearly the star of this team. And I, I love Scarlett Bordeaux. She's a great character, but to me, I feel like she won't ever truly outshine Karrion Cross the way they have her. She's basically the person that's kind of sort of controlling it, but Karrion Cross can do plenty of things on his own. It won't be what we saw with the Attitude Airvert, Mark Miro, where he okay. just got his legs cut out from underneath them early. Okay, and that's fair to an extent because Scarlett isn't an in-ring performer in the WWE or NXT yet. Now, if they let Scarlett start wrestling, because she's actually a competent hand in the ring. I'm not going to yeah. sit here and say she's great because she's not. But when you look the way that Scarlett does and when you can perform to a certain level, call it the Kelly Kelly syndrome. Okay. When you look, when you look a certain way and when you can perform at a certain level – it's going to be rewarded because they feel like there is mainstream possibility with somebody like a Scarlet. She's blonde. She's hot. She's agile enough to perform. And for me, I think it's just the fact that, you know, Scarlet Bordeaux, it's like she hasn't been playing it. Like, because if it was the impact version of Scarlet Bordeaux, I would 110% agree with you with this statement. Because they played up the sexiness with Scarlett Bordeaux, like the smoke show, the smoke show. Yeah, they they played it up there, but they're not playing it up. They're they're, to, they're they're toning it down as much as they can, obviously. But it's not they're they're not pumping up the sexuality with Scarlett Bordeaux, and we're seeing her be more of a more like a witch than compared to Karrion Cross, who just is a true killer. I mean, you're not wrong in that extent, especially with the fact that she apparently has the ability to put fireballs inside a contract. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's that's just a thing that happens all the time. I don't know about you, but the last time I signed a business deal, I had to avoid a fireball in order to sign it. <laughs> I mean, where were you? The Mushroom Kingdom? Uh, let's just say Luigi got his. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> but yeah, man, it's just, it's just nuts to think about how like things could pan out for Karen Cross, because he's got that Look, he's got that like look that I think will mean a lot more because it's still the Killer Cross gimmick that we saw in Impact Wrestling oh. and throughout the Indies. To where it's not like we talked about it. Mark Miro, they took Johnny, B, they took Johnny B. Bad away from him and made him be Mark Miro. Whenever he was just specifically designed to be Johnny B. Bad, they're taking Killer Cross, putting a new name on him, but still keeping the core elements of the character. 
Well, not to mention, let's also consider the fact that Mark Murrow was like five foot ten and two hundred and twenty pounds, whereas Killer Croft is like six foot five and damn near three hundred. I mean, he's an absolute hoss, and it's you know he's going to be pushed to like the moon once he goes to the main roster. Um, Lars Sullivan without the offensive history. How's that? Yeah. Uh- you know, I'd say this about Lars Sullivan. I feel like Lars had the body, but he was too much like the oddities, if you will. Like he was too much of that, the way they built him. Killer Cross just looks like Karen Cross, excuse me, just looks like a monster from top to bottom, the tattoos, everything. Like I can tell you right now, that is a star in the making right now. Rather than like, Lars Sullivan, I never felt like he could be a big draw. It- it's going to it's going to depend on Mike's skills for Carrion, because while Scarlet's there to enhance the package, eventually it's going to get to the point where Carrion's going to have to be able to tell the story through his Mike skills, and that's been the biggest knock on him throughout his wrestling career is that he is not a great promo. All right, we're going to drift away from NXT for a minute because I want to ask you this question. Okay, what are your thoughts on Retribution? Um, I'm willing to give it a chance. And the reason I say that is because we were talking about this on the reaction, actually. And I'll plug that here in a little bit. But we were talking about this on the reaction. And one of the things that I said is that having them attack backstage and having them get involved backstage and stuff, wrestling fans aren't going to care. Because in order for stuff to matter to wrestling fans, it has to happen at ringside. That's how Nexus was able to make such a large impact in their debut. When they came down to the ring, they tore up the ringside area. They ripped apart the ring, like similar to what uh, Retribution did on SmackDown. I think that that right there was a sign that they're willing to invest maybe a little bit more into Retribution, and now they're finally starting to have them interact with the main roster talents. If you believe the reports, most of the people that we've seen under the masks are not going to be part of the reveal, and that concerns me because that's giving them almost a Dark Order ripoff effect because you have almost like these minions that are doing Retribution's bidding. I think the sooner that we start to have at least one or two of the members revealed of the group so that way we know who we're dealing with, the more viability and the more credibility the group is going to have. And you, you bring up the Dark Order. To me, it feels almost like an Aces and Eights type thing. Like It feels more like that. Where That's fair. It, what you brought up just now is like you reveal a couple guys, but it's not the big guys. Like It's not, let's say, the leader behind all this, which, by the way, I'm going to say this right now on this podcast, and this is the first time I've said this anywhere. Samoa Joe's behind Retribution. I actually have a different person in mind. Go ahead. Tell me who, it is, who you think it is. Rusev. And at this point, I'm kind of I'm kind of numb on the idea of this all being like former WWE guys that they furloughed and are bringing back. Because, but I just feel like the way they're building Samoa Joe. Because you've noticed, like on Raw, he's able to have his sources tell him all these things, and they're they're telling him, "Hey, you can't get involved in an in ring capacity, or else you lose your job as a commentator." kind of angle that they did a couple weeks ago. So it's like right here, right now, I feel like Samoa Joe somehow, some way is involved as the leader of all this. Rusev is like, you know what? I got a hot wife. I've made my money. I'm going to go ahead and enjoy my life as a Twitch streamer. You do bring up an interesting point with the Aces and Apes thing there, though, because of who's backstage working for the WWE these days, too. Oh, yeah. I can't can't forget you have him, uh, Devon out there in the creative room somewhere. Yeah. Uh, more specifically, uh, Jeremy Borash. Oh yeah, I keep somehow, some way, in the midst of all this like COVID nineteen pandemic and you know the cinematic matches, you forget that one of the like key eyes in all of this 
was about JB Jeremy Borash here. We're gonna go. Thank God they haven't had him do a backstage role. Um, real quick before we go, can I bring up one thing from this past week's SmackDown? Yeah, sure thing. You just mentioned TNA, so I have to do this here. How stoked were you for Joseph Park? Dude, I marked out for that the second it happened. I was like, <laughs> and you know, here's the thing: I didn't watch it live. I was actually working on a bunch of things over in the studio, and I wound up seeing the tweet of like. Joseph Park, AJ Styles, Jeff Hardy. I'm like, what the hell? This is amazing. The fact that you were able to have like three key like TNA guys from like the early 2000s blew my mind. I'm like, like Joseph Park on SmackDown in 2020 was enough to make my head spin, and it was probably one of my favorite segments of the year. The fact that even though it was kind of like a just a weird way to include Jeff Hardy in an Intercontinental Title match, I laughed the entire time. I was like. It's Joseph Park. Like I'm like now you need now we need to have Abyss. Like bring Abyss involved in this whole thing, and I, I think we'll think we'll be okay in 2020. The best part of it for me was they're doing the reveal inside of the ring for the phenomenal Intercontinental Statistical System. I love the name of that, by the way. And Park pulls off the first the first banner to reveal AJ's name as the Intercontinental Champion at the top of the list here. And without missing a beat, because they hadn't set his name up to that point, without missing a beat, Styles turns back to him and says, thank you, Joseph Park. <laughs> hey, dude, that popped me so hard, that entire thing. It's like, why, would, why haven't we seen Joseph? Hopefully he continues to show up on like SmackDown, because I would love to have just Joseph Park oh. involved in little angles here and there. 100%. If we can make Joseph Park a recurring thing on SmackDown, I am all for it, especially since... We discussed SmackDown on a weekly basis, and I am a self-admitted Joseph Park Mark. Joseph Park Abyss is probably like one of the best angles TNA ever really um, did. The way the split personality was perfect. Fun fact, actually, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. I actually used to do uh, play-by-play commentary for local couple local wrestling sites up here. Nice. And one of the shows that I did, uh, Abyss was a part of. I had a chance to work with him. That's really cool, man. You know, and, you know. I think just the fact you were able to have like Abyss, Joseph Park Esquire, that entire angle was one of the coolest things that I kind of like forgot about in the midst of all the news about Thunderdome and all these other things, the Retribution. It was like SmackDown had probably one of the most underrated segments of the year. And then um, Park even went on to contribute to TNA in his later years with the company as well as part of Decay. Shout out to Decay, man. Rosemary, the little thing that's Uh, still around with Decay. uh, What, you hating on Rosemary? No, that was was a happy side. Trust me. (laughs) I was about to say, don't don't be hating on Rosemary. Uh, No, I have have always been a huge fan of Courtney Rush's work. And she's so damn good. And I I love what, you know, we're talking about Impact, and we're going off on a whole different tangent right now. (laughs) But... What do you think about Wrestle House? Um, uh, I think in a vacuum it works. I think as a presentation on the regular part of Impact, it doesn't. I'd agree with you. I think I would love for that just to be solely a thing they do on like Twitch or Impact Plus. Just make that agree. make that like a make that like a Big Brother esque thing, and like you have people get evicted. I mean, we all know Johnny Swinger would get evicted the first week, right? Oh, for sure. Johnny Swinger Swing- should have a job in 2020. How? No, 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 no. Johnny Swinger deserves deserves work, man. Johnny Johnny Swinger, oh. like his gimmick is so damn good in 2020. He embraces the the old man 
the old man wrestler gimmick. It's perfect. You know what I say to that? I say that Simon has a problem, and he works for the company, so they should use him instead. <laughs> I'm just serious. I, I I love Johnny Swinger, and it's it is crazy because I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts lately, and every time I listen to this one where they do like a retro review, everyone Johnny Swinger somehow some way gets popped up in in the conversation. Like he'll be in a dark match or something. It's like what the hell? Johnny Swinger just keeps showing up. I love Simon and Swinger in uh, ECW. Yeah, but it's it's amazing just to see how much like Johnny Swinger has changed like significantly since like back in the ECW days. He looks entirely different to me. That's fair. I mean, evolution it is a mystery, you know. But seriously, though, it's necessary <laughs> in the pro wrestling business. And he's doing a great job with that. And you know, Harry, before I let you go, why don't you promote what's going on with the Reaction Podcast and the Chair Shot Radio Network? Well, I mean, this is a sports station as well, so I have a sports podcast to promote, too, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead, man. All right, first of all, the reaction is live every Monday night at 11.30 p.m. on the ChairShot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com, or you can find the network specifically at blogtalkradio.com backslash ChairShot Radio. Myself and 4101 Mania's Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown recapper Tony Estero talk Raw and SmackDown on a weekly basis. We leave out the good show, apparently. But we How do work some AEW into the discussion as well. And then you can listen to that over on the Chairshot Radio Network. In addition, um, myself, Eric Watkins, Jason Teasley, and Randy Isbell present the kickoff over on the W2M Network online at W2Mnet.com. And we're actually just getting ready to record a little bit later tonight. We're recording our NFC conference preview edition of the kickoff and then next week we'll be doing our afc conference preview edition well hopefully football season does get kicked off harry i thank you so much for coming on my man we'll talk to you down the road and trust me next time we have you on it won't be for an nxt takeover preview i'm fine with it i'm happy being the takeover guy the shows are usually awesome thanks for having me cd Thanks again to Harry Broadhurst for joining the program. Make sure you check out the the Chair Shot Radio Network and check that stuff out. Before we get on out of here, I'm going to get to a couple things concerning the WWE and AEW and how they're doing things going forward because it looks like the Thunderdome is going to be in full effect starting on Friday. It'll be mainly for Raw and SmackDown. NXT will still be at full sale. But Thunderdome is actually going to be really cool. And I signed up for Thunderdome just so I could see if I could get in. And it's all going to be virtual fans in the stands. And I did. And here's some general takeaways that I had. I want to kind of texting somebody about this as it went on so I can remember what I thought about this. Because this was like Tuesday when I signed in. This is like two days later. A lot of stuff. Again, time's a flat circle in 2020 times. But the fifth part of the agreement is probably the most amazing part of all this. Quote, you may not say or do anything during your participation in the Thunderdome that is in the sole discretion of WWE that constitutes a political statement or endorsement is or could be considered offensive, obscene, discriminatory, or lewd gestures, no cursing, and anything that adversely disparages or reflects adversely the WWE or any of its athletes, sponsors, or affiliates. It also looks like it'll be on a show-by-show basis. They're going to test this out, I believe, later today to see if it works. I wasn't part of that number. But if you want in on those select spots, you'll need to get in early. I signed up, and no more than like five minutes later, 
the thing had filled up to capacity. Apparently, according to what I read on the release form, said that they're going to cycle the crowd in and out. It's not going to be, oh, hey, just stick to this one crowd with the green shirt guy. They're going to have a whole different thing. And one of the keys he also mentioned when you get the confirmation email is that you have to keep your shirt on, and it's preferred if you wear WWE clothing. Now, obviously, not all of us would have WWE clothing. I do also have AEW stuff, so it'll be fun to see if AEW shirts may potentially be banned from this. If you were wearing an AEW shirt and you got banned, let me know. Because I might not get into this SmackDown show because, like the way my schedule is, you never know. But I definitely wanted to sign in to see what the idea is, how to kind of cause all this. What's causing all this with the WWE clothing and what kind of policy they're going to have with it. Obviously, keep your shirt on, but still. But while WWE is letting fans in virtually, AEW is going to allow fans to be at Daly's Place. And this is going to be done safely to bring back the energy to a live audience of a live audience to AEW shows in compliance with the state and local regulations and CDC guidelines. A select number of physically distanced seating pods will be available for sales in groups of two, three, four, and six around that outdoor venue. And that'll be starting next Thursday. They'll be doing it live and it'll be maximum crowd of 10% capacity for that show. Now, if everything goes according to plan and we see things be handled the right way, then it'll be moved up to 15% and that'll be happening going forward. It'll just stay at 15%, 1-5, not 5-0. And Tony Khan said in the statement, quote, we've missed the incredible energy of our fans at shows and from what we've heard, they've missed being with us. With our enhanced safety measures, we look forward to welcoming our, welcoming our fans back to become part of the action. For me, it'll be interesting to see if it does happen because there is a storm brewing right now, literally, Tropical Depression 13, that could hit Florida sometime next Monday. Now, obviously, just like pro wrestling, the car is subject to change. The path of that storm is always subject to change. But if it hits hard enough, especially in Jacksonville, how much does that affect the ability to produce a show live from Daly's Place on Thursday, just a couple days removed from a potential tropical storm or hurricane even. just depends how things go. But I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen next with WWE. Are they going to allow fans inside the NXT arena? Are they going to allow all these different things? These Instead of going from a controlled climate, they're going to start allowing everybody in. Who knows what's going to happen next? And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.